0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. A series in the book of Ephesians, I'm going to keep going. I wonder if you've ever been reading a really great story, so great that it becomes your story. The characters become your friends. The places become common, you know, places, and you start to imagine, and you build up a whole picture in your mind. Uh, you're in the story. I, I, who likes Roald Dahl? Any Roald Dahl fans out there? Yeah. Well, growing up, Roald Dahl was the bee's knees, and the first story that I that I uh, ever loved and got into and became my story was Fantastic Mr. Fox. Anyone know that story? It's just come back again. I read it multiple times as a as a young sort of eight, nine, ten year old, and now I'm reading it again to Annabelle and Jacob, and I can imagine myself as a fox going into bunts and bean and bogguses, you know, farms to to, to raid their chickens, you know, if you know the story. But the whole idea is that some stories are so good that they become your story. Well, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, this church in Ephesus, something similar is going on. He's saying the story of God has become your story. You're in it. So in chapters 1 to 3, he's been outlining what God has done in Christ to make us new people. Not just individually, but corporately. We've been made alive. We've been brought into this new community, this new society on earth, the church. And then in chapters four to six, Paul moves from our story, uh, from God's story to our story. And uh, he says in chapter four, verse one, you haven't got it on the handout, but it's a key verse in the book, like the first three chapters and then the, the hinge verse, from God's story to your story. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, Paul's writing from prison. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In other words, if you've been made alive in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, God's story of what he is doing in the world through Christ has now become your story. And now live up to that story. Live up to this calling. Put yourself in the story. Paul's favorite expression, which we looked at last week for describing this, is a phrase, union with Christ or united with Christ. He uses it 27 times in his letter. What does it mean? It means I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. We looked at this last time. So I'm in Christ is God's story. That is, Jesus uh, becomes my salvation through him, through faith in him. He becomes, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I can approach God the Father with confidence. I'm righteous. I'm in Christ. Another way of thinking about it, he's my anchor. I'm secure. There's no condemnation. Nothing can separate me from God's love because I'm in Christ. But also, part two, Christ is in me, my story. I now have a power coming into my life by the Holy Spirit that means I can change to be like God. So not only is Christ my anchor who holds me secure, I'm rock solid, my identity, my security. He's also my engine, the one that drives me and pushes me. Now, it's appropriate for St. Patrick's Day to be thinking about this idea of being in Christ. I rise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me. I rise today through a mighty strength. It probably wasn't Patrick who wrote the breastplate, but it had the spirit of Patrick. Patrick and that theology from way back in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth centuries of Ireland knew what it was to say, I am in Christ. He's my anchor, my identity, my salvation. And Christ is in me. He's my engine. The Holy Spirit is living in me to empower me. And so Paul is saying, and you could say, Patrick understood the story of God that he'd been placed in, and that's why Ireland was changed. He knew the power of being united with Christ. I hope we do too. And Paul is now going to say, if you know this, your identity, that you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you're going to take off some old clothes that don't belong to you in your identity. They don't fit you anymore because you've been changed. And you're going to put on some new clothes that do fit your identity. So uh, last week I said this, and we now have another Man United fan in our midst, that, uh, you know, it's like being given the glorious moment of being transferred from Man United to Tottenham Hotspur. And you're like, yes, I've been waiting to get out of this horrible red kit all my life to put on a beautiful white Christ-like kit, you know, of Tottenham. Or I said it's a bit like being released from a nasty prison. In prison you you wore scrubs, you wore the prison clothes and you told those jokes, and you hid yourself when that person came along, and you intimidated people to get in first in line for grub, you've been released from prison. You don't need to keep wearing those clothes, acting in that way, pushing your weight around to get food. You're out of prison now. Take off those old clothes, habits, attitudes, actions, and put on the new clothes, because you've been set free. A Christian is someone who says, I know that I've been made new, new identity, a new nature, been born again by the Spirit, a new mindset." And now I'm going to wear the right clothes. So Paul's going to give us five sets of clothes to take off and five to put on. Let's go for the first one. He says this, don't tell lies, but rather tell the truth. Just look down at the passage there, verse 25. Therefore, each of you was put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for you are all members of one body. Jesus himself said he was the truth. In Jesus, there was no deceit. He never lied. He never betrayed anyone. He always kept his promises. There was no falsehood in Christ. Well, you're in Christ, and Christ is in you. He so said, take off the lies. Take off the falsehood and put on truth, because that's who you are now. And we must be aware of what kind of lies and falsehoods. You know, polite lies. The Irish, yes, you know. Yeah, I'll be there. Not a chance, you know. Actually, take that off. Be Speak truthfully to someone. If you're not going to be there, tell them. Just be polite. I would love to go, but I have another appointment. I don't, but I just don't want to tell you the truth. Take off that. We live in a new... You know, if that's the way of the world, that's not the way of those in Christ. Or exaggerations. Spouses are horrendous at this. You always, you never... And siblings, you know, it's not factually true. And it's designed to you know, bludgeon the other person. Or in, in inflation. Christians are especially bad at this. It was such a blessing. The Lord was there. It was just incredible. Well, Sometimes it is such a blessing, and the Lord is there, and it was incredible. But all the time, no. You get cynical. Take it off. You don't have to inflate everything to be amazing the whole time. The same with social media. Just just be truthful. The so-called benevolent lies when you cover up for family and friends when you ought to be confronting them. About how they're living, acting. I just didn't want to, and I'm just going to cover it. No. Speak truth, Paul says you're in Christ now. All the business lies for those who are in business, overselling a product or service, covering up the weaknesses of your product and service, making exaggerated claims against your competitors that you don't have warrant for. Paul says, don't act the way in the world, take that off. But notice the motivation. Do you see it there in the end of verse 25? For we are all members of one body. We must be truthful to each other as the church because we're God's new society on earth and our fellowship can only exist if it's built on trust and trust is built on truth. How can I trust you if I don't know if you're being truthful? And if I'm not being truthful... Or well, you're not being truthful. You're not only jeopardizing your relationship with me. Paul says you're jeopardizing the whole spirit of the church. We're all members of this body together. You're creating factions. In other words, when we lie to one another in church life, however the lie comes, it's like a stab in your own body, Paul says. You're in Christ. And that lie will work like a yeast within a dough of bread and cause havoc and division and discord. You're in Christ now. Take all that stuff off. It's not who you are. Live differently. First item of clothing, take off the lies and the falsehood and put on truth. Second item of clothing on the screen, don't lose your temper, but ensure your anger is righteous. Look again on your handout, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin, quoting Psalm 4. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Paul quotes David from Psalm 4. David was in a, in a tough time amidst enemies and distressing. It says in Psalm 4, they turn my glory into shame. David's angry, and his anger is righteous, but he prays that he might not sin, and he says, may I be silent. In other words, I'm angry, and my anger's righteous, but if I don't deal with this anger, I could do something rash. And so a better translation on the screen is, be angry and do not sin. That's actually more accurate to the original Greek. David was right to be angry. His enemies were defaming God, abusing him. The right response to injustice, cruelty, deception, evil, lies, and abuse is anger, righteous anger. God himself gets angry. Jesus got angry at the stubborn hearts of the Pharisees. For example, someone in church might hurt you or offend you or act in a way deserving of anger. They might be careless or cruel. They might belittle you or offend you. If your initial a- a reaction is anger, that's okay. You're with David. You're with Jesus if it is righteous. I would argue we need more righteous anger in our Christian community today where we don't, co- we don't settle for compromise and we don't just cover up you know, and be apathetic and tolerant to sin and evil. But Paul says when you're hot with indignation, and that indignation could well be righteous if you've been wronged or someone else in the community has been wronged, Three negative commands. Do you see them? In your anger, do not sin. If you've been sinned against, that does not give you a license to sin. The most natural thing to do when you're sinned against is to sin again. Paul says, no, just because you've been sinned against doesn't mean now you can go and sin and go, well, they sinned against me, so I just... No. In your anger, because someone has wronged you, don't go and think that's a license to sin. And we must make sure our anger is free from injured pride, spite, malice, and the spirit of revenge. Secondly, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this isn't something we have to panic about taking literally. Oh, the sun, you know, imagine living in Greenland, nightmare, you know. Oh, it's like, oh, the sun never goes down or it's always down. Um, You know, so it's not bad to seek reconciliation before bedtime, particularly with a spouse. But sometimes, actually, you can't. So, you know, we don't have to panic about taking it literally. But what Paul is getting at is we mustn't nurse anger. We can't brood on the anger. We can't carry it around for days and days. Why not? Third negative command, do not give the devil a foothold. If you sin in your anger, if you brood on your anger, if you give the, you'll give the devil a foothold into your life, but also, remember, the life of the community. If you don't deal with your anger in the right way and as quickly as possible, then the anger would quite possibly become unrighteous and you will react sinfully and you will seek revenge and the devil will got into your life The devil loves to lurk around angry people looking to exploit the situation to his own advantages, provoking them to hatred, violence, and a breach of friendship. Are you an angry person? Is there anger beneath the surface? Maybe it's righteous anger, but here Paul's three negative things. Do not sin, do not let the sun go down, and do not give the devil a foothold. Later in verse 32, he's going to give the positive. Look at it down there. Instead of anger, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. So even when our anger is righteous and just, even when hot indignation grips our heart out of holiness, we now need to learn to deal with the anger so we can be kind and compassionate and forgiving to the other person. Why? Because you're in Christ now, and Christ in God forgave you. You're in Christ. That's who you are. So even if you're right, don't stand on your rights. Forgive. Do you remember the famous quote from Nelson Mandela? 27 years in a South African prison. Walks out. What does he say? As I walked out of the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Don't give the devil a foothold. He had to work through that anger. He had to forgive. Forgive. I wonder if you've heard of the illustration, I've used it before here, you're a rhino or a hedgehog. How do you react to being hurt? How do you react to conflict? Rhinos come barging through, retaliate, shout, and hurt back in the most obvious way, and everyone goes, there's a you know, bull in a china shop type thing. Hedgehogs retreat and curl up and get prickly, and they distance themselves through passive aggressive behavior from the opponent. Which do you tend towards? Are you a rhino when you get hurt, where there's discord, or are you a hedgehog? If you're married, have you worked out how you deal with that? Early on in our marriage, without any malice or spite, I did something that really hurt Leanne and didn't honor her, didn't honor our marriage. And uh, I remember coming home and she was, uh, yeah, I knew it was going to be horrendous and, and we sort of both worked out what had happened and I'd been so careless. And uh, I came home and she couldn't look at me. And she literally was turning her eyes. She was on the sofa, and she'd obviously been sat there for quite a while, and she's, you know, like a hedgehog like this, you know. And I was saying, I'm sorry, and and she couldn't look at me, and she was, you know, so hardened to me. And I I tried to say sorry, and eventually she was good. She put into practice verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgive each other, and she forgave me. But that forgiveness didn't come cheaply. Leanne was sobbing and howling for five or ten minutes on the sofa, absorbing that pain to forgive me. We've all got the tendency to be a hedgehog or a rhino. Paul says, do you know how to deal with your anger when you're hurt? Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down. Don't give the devil a foothold and forgive. Why? Because Christ, you're in Christ and he forgave you. Other of us are not like the hedgehog who goes prickly, but we come out with volatile anger and we create more damage. Paul says, "Don't don't be a rhino, don't be a hedgehog. Deal with your anger. And that means forgiveness in, in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, Jesus fascinatingly gives two different commands. In Matthew 5, he says, you're going to worship God. You know, you come into to church one day, and you know that uh, you, you have wronged someone else. He says, don't come to the altar and offer your gift. Go and seek them out. In Matthew 18, Peter's like, well, how much should I forgive then, you know, if they've wronged me? And he says, keep forgiving. In other words, whether you've been wronged or someone has wronged you, uh, whether you've been wronged or you've wronged someone else, it's always your move to go and seek reconciliation. You never have any justification to stand on your rights and go, hmm. Huh. Jesus says, if you've wronged them or they've wronged you, go and seek reconciliation. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. Why? Because we're all members of Christ. We're in Christ. It's you who you are now. Why? Because you're in Christ and he forgave you. It's your identity. Take off the old clothes and put on the new. Third, don't steal rather work and give. Look down on the sheets there, verse 28. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So don't steal was the eighth commandment of Moses. It's still very applicable today, not just people's money and possessions, but what we owe the government, taxes, you know, custom dodges, all that stuff. No, we have to not steal in any area of life. Or employees who make personal gain, you know, unfair personal gain or or exaggerated personal gain through personal, you know, for business expenses. Or businesses that then tread on their employees and rob them of their, you know, in a different way by asking them to work too much. But you see what Paul says next. He says he's talking much more than just, you know, don't steal. Not talking less than that. But he says, so you might Give. He's talking about a whole lot more than just the negative prohibition. He's talking about the positive. Do you see that work so you can give? I've come, across, I've come across this time and time again in church life where people come to sponge off the church community, whether in money or time or emotional energy or friendship. And they take things from the church like a thief. No intention of giving anything back. They've just come to take. They don't contribute, and then they're off. Paul says, You've got a new identity in Christ. Don't come to church as a burglar, but come as a benefactor. Come to give. Come to contribute. Come with commitment, going, yeah, the church is committing to me by being this, so I'm going to commit to the church in money, time, emotional energy, service, friendship, prayer. Do something useful, Paul says, so you could benefit others. Is it just about you or are you going to benefit others? Take off the old clothes, which is, well, what can I get out of it? Put on the new clothes. How can I become a benefactor and bless and give? Four, bit of clothing. Don't use your mouth for evil, rather for good. Verse 29. I think this is the best verse in the whole Bible, on the tongue. I encourage you to put it to memory. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for others, for for, for, helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Paul says three things. Notice: no unwholesome talk out of your mouth. If what you have to say is not wholesome, don't say it. Simple. Hard though. But it's not who you are now. You're in Christ. There was nothing unwholesome in him. Uh, Only speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So when you speak to someone, have the person's need in in your mind, their circumstances, their capacity, their weak, their sensibilities, their temperament, their culture. So yes, speak the truth. Chapter 415, speak the truth in love, but do it for their needs rather than your desire to get the truth across. According to their needs. And then the third one, so, you know, wholesome talk, only what is helpful, that it may benefit those who listen. Again, the other person is in your mind. Does what I say lift up or push down, instill fear or faith, bring anxiety or comfort? Paul wants us to speak this truth in love when we will have to challenge people, but we challenge people for their benefit, not ours. We've got them in mind. That's why we are doing it, which means we won't be irritable and impatient. It means we can be assertive without being self-assertive, because it's not about you. It's about the other person. Now, I want to say something about gossiping and complaining. Paul wants us to speak the truth, but he also doesn't want us to slander. Verse 31. We must be open to challenge and evaluation and constructive criticism, of course, in our community, and our lives. But there's a fine line between that and gossiping and complaining, isn't there? Gossip seeks to push another person down whilst at the same time pushing yourself up. It's not about the other person, it's about you. Gossip seeks to exclude someone else while making sure you're included within that circle that you're speaking to complaining is talking about a problem without being willing to see that you two are part of the problem or you two committing to being part of the solution it's just complaining is seeking to vent something to get it off your chest rather than to benefit others both gossip and complaining seek to undermine the listeners respect and love for the person being spoken about in other words it's not wholesome it's not about their needs it doesn't benefit others it's about you I wonder, can you distinguish between gossip and non-slanderous evaluation? Are you able to distinguish between complaining and constructive criticism? You're in Christ now. Take off the old… Everyone in the world gossips and complains. Not, Not those in Christ. Take it off. You've got a new story. Live in the new story. Five, don't be unkind or bitter, but rather kind and loving. Verse 31 Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. So pull lists six unpleasant attitudes and actions that they would to put away. Bitterness, which is that sour spirit, you know, that com- people that complain the whole time. So It's just bitterness in their life. Is that you? Take it off. Rage, that's the rhino, that volatile hostility. Take it off. Anger, and the word here is that more settled and sullen hostility. The hedgehog is just prickly. Brawling, which is sort of quarreling, fighting, and shouting. Slander, speaking evil of others, defaming them, destroying their reputations behind their back. The gossip, the complainer, and every form of malice. Anything that's got you know, malicious motives, get rid of it. Instead, Paul talks about three clothings to put on kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. You in Christ now. Live as someone in Christ. You have a new identity, a new nature, a new mindset. Wear the right clothes. You've been transferred from Tottenham to Spurs. I know the analogy is running dry. You've been, you, you, you've been released from prison. Just wear the right clothes. As who you are. You're not trying to live up to anything you're not. You're living up to who you are. There's a negative and a positive, a taking off and a putting on, a putting to death and a putting on the new self. And it's always in community. You know, holiness isn't something where I read my Bible in Glen the Lock on my own for hours on end and praying, oh, what a holy person. A holy person, said Paul, is someone that can live in community, read people that are radically different and be loving and kind and forgiving. Holiness is worked out in community. Did you see there's one verse I missed? You spot it there? Look down on the sheets. You spot the verse I missed? Verse 30. And do not grieve. The Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Paul wants to give us one more mighty motivation to take off old clothes and put on new clothes. And it's personal, it's relational. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. From this uh, verse, it is evident that the Holy Spirit is fully personal and someone whom you can cause sorrow, pain, and distress. Only persons can feel these things. As with my example of hurting Leanne early on in our marriage, to grieve someone is to create a rift in your relationship, It's to damage the relationship. So Paul is saying, if you carry on with the old way of life, you will damage your relationship with the Holy Spirit. But wait a minute, I hear you say, the next slide, I'm in Christ. Isn't that the power of it? I have an anchor. I'm secure. Nothing can separate me from his love. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Even when I'm not good, he's good to me. That's grace. That's this amazing truth of Jesus is my security, my salvation, my anchor. It's not about how good I am. It's about good. He was hallelujah and amen. I'm not talking about union with Christ. I'm talking about communion with the Spirit. Next slide, please. Paul is talking about something different. He says your relationship and status with Christ is still secure. When we sin, he still forgives you and loves you. But if we continue to live in sin and put and, and don't take off the old clothing, don't think your relationship with the Spirit won't be changed. Though in Christ God overlooks our sins in a judicial sense, He is not blind to them. So when we sin. Our union with Christ is not affected, but our communion with the Holy Spirit is. It is possible for a believer to have more or less favor with God. Yes, it is, in a relational sense, absolutely. It is possible for us to have sweet fellowship with God and not to, and to experience his frown, not his frown of judgment, but his for us frown that should spur us on to love and good deeds. Jesus says famously to a church in Revelation chapter 3, the church in Laodicea, those whom I love, I rep- reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Though God is always for us in Christ, though we are never going to be condemned in Christ, though nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ, Romans 8. Christ can still have things against us, Revelation 2, and he still needs to discipline us, Hebrews 12. Whilst our union with Christ is unbreakable, we have an anchor, our communion with the Spirit can be badly damaged. The engine can start to fail. Again, back to my previous example. I was still married to Leanne. I had a ring on my finger. I had a legal status before the law as a married person. None of that changed when I hurt Leanne, but my relationship with her did. It was damaged. It was hurt. It needed repair. It was affected. My communion was in tatters, then my union was secure. Do you remember when David sinned against, when he abused his position of power, he took Bathsheba and slept with her. He then orchestrated Uriah, her husband, to be killed on the front line. And then he tried to cover up. He tried to ignore the old clothing. He didn't want to take off the old clothing, did he? He just hoped to carry on. Psalm 32 on the screen. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped in the heat of winter. David knew what it was to grieve the spirit. And to continue without repentance and confession and taking off the old clothes. How does it feel? His bones wasted away. Groaning all day long. God's hand was heavy on him. His strength was sapped. But then Psalm 32 says he confessed his sin. He removed the old clothing. And what happened? He says, God became my hiding place. It was a moment of intimacy with him and God. He says he rejoiced and sang with all his heart. He re- he, his, the joy of salvation was restored to him. Paul is saying, sure, you've been given a new identity in Christ, a new union that can never be in jeopardy, but your communion with the Holy Spirit certainly can be. Take off those clothes, otherwise you're going to grieve him. And you and I know exactly what he means. And maybe for the first time you have a theological category to hold together, I'm secure in Jesus, but I can't just carry on sinning. I'm totally forgiven, yeah, but I want a relationship with God. So, if you know you're grieving the Spirit right now, if God's hand feels heavy on you, if your conscience is completely pricked about something, take off the old clothes. Repent. Confess. Just admit your sin before God. That's basically it. Go, God, I am a sinner, and this is how I've sinned. Stop hiding. Take off the old clothing and go, I'm now made new. I'm going to put on the new stuff and know the joy of closeness, of warmth with God a lightness, a rest. The, 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 his hand isn't heavy on me. His hand is uplifting me every day. Remember who you are. You're in Christ, and Christ is in you. Think of St. Patrick. It's what, it's, well, Think of the breastplate. It's all there. Have your mind renewed. He's your anchor. He's your engine. He's your security, and he's your power. Live up to this new identity. Take off the old clothes that don't befit someone that is made new in Christ. Take him off. Put him to death. Say sorry. Stop trying to be like David. Oh, I'm just hope I can get away. No, bring it into the light. Confess it. <gasps> Breathe again. My relationship with God is completely intimate. And know the joy and the intimacy and the rest of walking with God. One in your head, just close your eyes. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask that each of us now just has a moment of honesty before the Lord. Stop hiding. Take off the clothes. Lord, forgive us when we tell lies rather than tell the truth. Lord, we want to take that old bit of clothing off and put on the new. We want to take people-pleasing off and put on being truth-tellers. We're in Christ now. Lord, help us to know righteous anger, but not to lose our temper to not sin, to not give the devil a foothold, to not let the sun go down, but to forgive. Always take the first move to forgive because you forgave us in Christ and we're in Christ now. That's who we are. Lord, those of us that steal, maybe not literally, they may be, but just in other ways, steal from the government, steal from, you know, take from things rather than ever look to give. Lord, may we become benefactors, not just consumers, not just burglars may we just change our mindset, like what can I get out of this to what can I give into this? Lord, number four is for me. Lord, help me and help us not to use our mouth for evil, but rather for good. I pray, Lord, that there be no unwholesome talk, that Christ City Church be a place where gossip and complaining are stamped out because we're in Christ. It's not who we are. That yes we can have constructive criticism yes we can have honest evaluation but it's never slanderous it's never to push someone else down it's never to boost ourselves it's never just to get something off our chest and then we'd always think of the other person how we can benefit those that are listening their capacity their sensibilities their culture their background their week their day and Lord change us that we've been wouldn't carry around any bitterness but would be kind and forgiving i thank you lord that this isn't about us trying harder it's about us allowing your spirit to work in us to do all these things but we do need to put things to death by your spirit and we do need to put on the clothes and i pray today would be a hopeful message for us all because it's not this moment of we can't do it it's actually paul expects the church to be able to do this through the spirit He's not saying this to push him down and go, "Oh, you're hopeless. He's saying, no, you can do this because you're in Christ. So Lord, may we know a closeness with the Holy Spirit as our engine, the one that empowers us and lifts us and goes before us. And where we feel weak, where we feel like failures, we thank you that you've forgiven us. And we thank you that you supply what we need when we lack. And Lord, even as we sing, just set us free from the prison. And maybe wear the right clothes as we come out free. In Jesus' name, amen.